that most people in the audience realize how important it is. Marrying the right person, of course, is the most important thing. Um, a little history of the prenup. Where did I come to get involved in prenups? I'm not one of those uh, activists that you find uh, you know, waving placards in the streets. It's not my way of doing things. It happened like this. A little history. Uh, many years ago, I assumed the rabbinical position in Young Israel, Riverdale. Still, uh, still, still there. And from the beginning, which is uh, almost a half century ago, I said to myself, it's not right that there's an Aguna problem in our community, which already existed then. It's gotten much worse. There more divorces and more complications. But already then there was a problem. And, you know, the rabbis that I knew were just saying, you know, it's too bad. Said, what, what, what can we do about it? Nothing we do about it. So I made, made sort of a resolution to myself. I'm going to try to do something about it if it ever comes my way. So I had a 15-year honeymoon. There were a couple of divorces in my community, but it was a pretty small shul. But they resolved themselves. They went, whatever they went, they went to court, they went to however they went. They never came to me. If they didn't come to me, I'm not required to get involved. But, you know, all honeymoons have to come to an end, and I had a serious problem with a couple. I tried to counsel them. And, um, what can I say? It was, uh, things weren't working out. Uh, there was a shred of violence and um, general, we'll call it incompatibility. It often happens when people get married, they're in one place, and then they go, they move in different directions in terms of their career success and other things. Details don't matter right now. So it came a point in time where the woman said, I really need to get divorced, and I want to get. And the man said the word, which to me was a like a, a red flag in front of a bull. The A word. The A word. If she won't do A, B, and C, I will, she will be an A. Uh, you got it. This is what I resolved during 15 years ago. It's not happening on my watch. And now it's starting to happen. I told the fellow, you just have to give your wife a gift. Give it now. Whatever de- details you have with her in the sake of the court, wherever you're going, I don't care, just give it again, and then fight it out later. So we did what many uh, Orthodox Jews feel is irrenalable, right? Went to a different rabbi. <laughs> but this fellow is a very honest guy. Really, he told the truth to the other rabbi. And the rabbi said, you know, based on everything you're telling me, you should give your wife again. Okay, two strikes. The baseball season is already. Games are going one after two strikes. So he tried a third at bat, told the other rabbi, listen carefully, and said, she give you what? Forget. Right away. So he had now three strikes in your act. Out. He said, now, little community of Riverdale, there were only three public schools at the time. Of any size, it was the Mike Young Israel and the main shul, RJC, or Rabbi Rosenbaum, and the HIR, Rabbi Avi Weiss. And they all, without asking me, I didn't say anything to them, based on his own words, said, Give again. They still didn't want to give again. All right, I'll give you the, the timeline. It's important to get the timeline. This problem started, it was the summer, or something like that, 
it started early, but it became acute after the summer of 1989. And nothing's happening. So the woman complains to us, Rabbis, you're not doing anything. How are you going to help me? So after Sukkot of that year, we told this gentleman, listen, I discovered a letter that we wrote to him, it was also a phone call, we said, listen, until you give your wife a get, you're not in, invited to any of these three shows. If you come in, we're going to stop the services. Oof. You never know what's going to happen. Will he, will he, will he come in and stop the services? No, he didn't come in. It was one little kind of a shtibul. It wasn't like the popular shtibul of today. It was a small little shul with uh, most of the people were retired and many of them were not even able to fully observe it. It was really way beneath the station of this uh, gentleman. But, you know, let him go there. You know. Come on. This goes on for a long time. It's now just before Pesach. Okay? It's right after Sukkot, which is before Pesach. It so happened, you know, nothing is made up, HaKadosh Baruch who runs the world. Yeshiva was learning that Yemesechta Gittin. Same they learning now this Yemesechta Gittin. It repeats every 10 years or so. So I told the Talmudim, listen, enough of this lumdus, whatever we're learning. After Pesach, we gotta sit down and try to figure out some solution. See what's what's been written about. Let's just let's get involved. Okay, you're not gonna believe it. We start right after Pesach. We start working on it. Three days later, the get is given. How'd that happen? It was a good judge, smart judge. It was a woman judge, a Jewish judge, not observing. But she was properly coached, and she told the parties, "Listen, guys, I'm dividing assets 50-50. 50-50. But if Mister, you give her again within ten days, I'll give you fifty-five percent. Instead of penalizing him for not giving again, which is a serious problem, she rewarded him for giving again. So the get was given. The get was given. It was it was Rishchodesh here." But the anniversary now, it was Chodesh year of that year. Uh, the Jewish historian, those are the, the Tafyomi Seam and Madison Square Garden, I think the first one. And um, that Shabbos, he came to shoot. I told the Gabbai, you have to give him Shlishi, the most honorific of all the Elias. The Gabbai said, I don't understand. For six months he was persona non grata, and I get Shlishi. I said, Exactly so. For six months, he didn't give a get. He, this was not grata. He gave the get. He got shlishi. So he gave shlishi. You know, after the next aliyah, people sometimes come to the rabbi to shake his hand. You know, something do they don't? I ran over to shake his hand. And he was a little bit, you know, standoffish. But he shook my hand, and thank God he remarried. She remarried, and they, they, they lived happily. There is a, there is a, there is a get. Is a, is a parish in the Torah. But in the meanwhile. I was already on my road. In those three days, the engines were already revved up to try to figure out a solution for this thorny problem. I discovered a publication that had been printed two years earlier, 1988, in the month of Ir, called Moria, a very prestigious rabbinic journal in Jerusalem, where there was an article written by a man I never heard of before, by Tzvi Gartner. And he caused a suggestion from a man that maybe we heard of, didn't know too much about him at the time, Rabbi Zalman Nechemia Goldberg. 
Finally, later we found out that he was one of the real, real golem of the generation. A son-in-law of Rabbi Shlomo Zalman, Arbach, but in his own right, a, a godl of the Torah, with whom I enjoyed a relationship for, for many years. For many years. And he had a suggestion. I, I, I didn't really know him, but someone, uh, Rabbi Goldberg Shlita, who has just come to my yeshiva that year, he was known as the Chavrusa, because he was from Shleim Zalman, close to him in Shara Chesed, so he called up for me, and I called him up. It's treated me so deferentially as if I'm somebody, I was really a nobody, and he's, you know, one of the Gedolei Hadar. And we corresponded. Can we implement what you did? He said, he doesn't know if it's been implemented. And I had certain comments about it. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. A lot of correspondence. And I realized, it's like God Israel to meet him face to face. Nothing's happening. You have to. So, flew out. It's now... January of 1991. Anyone know about world history? What happened that month? Anybody know? It's tough. The Gulf War. It's January 91. And I'm there, you know, I have a you know, I'm coming to the land of the Holy Land, and then all of a sudden there's a threat of, of, of a war. Meanwhile, I went to Abzal the Chemia. He treated me like a king, and then I was a nobody. He said, You, you really want to do this? After all this, you really, you really, really want? Yes, I really. You can't do it based on me alone. After somebody else, I said, well, Rebbe, who should I go to? Go to Rabbi Simbalist in Tel Aviv. Sadly, both of them are now Zechatarik the Rav. So we recently, know, both with us, and now they passed away both recently. So I went to Rabbi Simbalist. He said, I called him up. Said, meet me in the basin in Tel Aviv. So I drove to the Bezin in Tel Aviv. I met him in the Bezin. I drove, I drove him home to his house in Son Tel Aviv. And I showed him what Rabbi Zalman the Chevron wrote. Now they were colleagues. They were friends from the Yeshiva's Chevron. They were both geniuses in Yeshiva's Chevron so many years before. Now they're major figures in, in, in the Bezin in Eretz Yisrael. One in Tel Aviv, one in Shalayim. Looks and says, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, it doesn't make sense to do this. Do it another way. And he flipped it around. The details will come to us. Flipped it around. I was so depressed. Here I spent corresponding from, from right after Pesa, and now it's January. It's about eight, nine months. And then in, in, in one hour, it's all that. Rabbi A says this, Rabbi B says this. He's going to go nowhere. Oh. Went back to Abzalman Nechemia. I said, You sent me to Rabzabalis. He says, This way. Takes you a second says, We'll do it his way. You know, our Chachamim are like Kodesh Baruch Hu. B'malkim shata mosek d'luso shama tamosi imusunus. Say it in Moshe Shabbos in the Sinner. In one, one minute, okay, so we'll do it his way. After he had written about it already almost three years before the other way, and we corresponded for all his life, do it his way. Okay. So, I was encouraged, and I went back to America, do it his way. Okay, his way. We'll see in a minute what that was. Meanwhile, there was a group then called the Orthodox Caucus. Um, a group that existed for a fairly short period of time uh, in the, um, let's say, through the, through the 90s, the most, from late 80s to late 90s, and then it just sort of disbanded. They did two great things. 
One, they helped him with the prenup. Two, they helped restart the Bezin of America. Restart, I mean, reinvigorate. So I had to go back to all these lawyers to make sure that what we're going to do is going to be legally binding, otherwise it's useless in this country. Guess what? Took another year, a whole year, with the lawyers, back to Ryan Goldberg, went back the next year, it's now already January 1992. It's peacetime, no wars going on, and he made a few adjustments, someone typed it up for me, made a few additional adjustments, and I had him signed by Rabbi Zalman Nehemiah and signed by Rabbi Zalman They got a third important signature. Rabbi Vadi Yosef. <laughs> How did I get to him? It's another long story, not for now. He came to YU for sort of a little sabbatical. And I was Rabbi Chalap's emissary. And I went the previous year to arrange the details. And then I went back to see him. He really knew me a little bit. He signed his name. He actually wrote the date on it. Chof Ches. I think it was Tov Shindun Beis the date and he signed his name okay well came back to America very encouraged I wanted to get some of my the, the big Dayan to sign in here so I got Rabbi Libis Zatzal who was head of the Igor Rabbonim got Rabbi Schwartz Zatzal head of the Stagos Rabbonim the RCA I went to some of my rabbinical friends in Brooklyn I think you know Brooklyn is a Rabbi Libis was from Borough Park at the time I feel let me get some of my other people who I knew a little bit better. And they said, you know, it's okay, but NIMBY, not in my backyard. It's not happening, and they didn't want to get involved with it. All right. We went to work. Went to work. It's already 1992. I have five rabbinical signatures. We wrote it up, and we went to work. Of course, it was tweaked a few times since then. What I have in front of me, it says, revised November 2018. Okay, that's 1992, 2018. It's a lot of years in between. Uh, the tweaks here and tweaks there. Nothing since then, to my knowledge. We're already holding in 2023. It's almost five years later. So far, I think it's still the way we, we want it. And let me tell you what it says and try to answer your questions. You know, the halacha says when a man gets married, he's obligated to support his wife. I so you, hope you know this. Make sure to remind him. And you heard it from me. That is an obligation for a man to support his wife. It's in the Ksuba. It's in the Torah. Okay, fine. What happens if the couple breaks up? No longer living under the same roof. Does the obligation continue? Or does it cease? Shulchanah tells us, clearly. Very clearly. It depends whose fault the breakup is. That's the most unclear thing in the whole wide world. It's clear what the law is, but it's unclear what the facts are. Okay? So some cases, you'd be obligated by virtue of the ksuba alone, and in some cases not. And the problem, they'll fight till she turns white, until you clarify whose fault it is. You know, in America, in almost all areas of, of law, no fault. There's no fault. Car insurance is no fault. No fault. Because you start with fault, you never creep out of it. So what we did over here, is in a sense, a kind of a no fault where the man obligates himself to, to give her her support, no matter what, whether it's his fault or breakup, her fault or breakup, doesn't matter. We try to close that gap. That's gap number one that we closed. It's gap number two that's closed. In the Ksuba, it tells you he has to support her. doesn't say how much. You can argue till doomsday how much is the is support. So we put in a certain amount of money. 
Right now, it's $150 a day. This leads to about a little more than $50,000 a year. You figure out if you can live on that with your own apartment and your own food, clothes, <laughs> and the various insurances, and sometimes you have to have a car, you know. It, it, it depends where you live. That's, that's where it's standing now. And more than that, we wrote it in a perfectly legal fashion. The Ksuba is written in Aramaic, and technically it could be brought into court, but you know, this way was done in English, with the approval of many, many, many attorneys, so we close these three gaps. We said even if it's even if the breakup is arguably her fault, he's still going to pay it, and going to pay one hundred fifty thousand a day, and it's written in legal form, so it can be enforced in a court of law. This is what it says in the in the prenup. So therefore, the man whose marriage is floundered and there's really no chance of it being resuscitated, so typically, was he's not in a rush to give her again. But now he is in a rush to give her a get. Doesn't have to give her a get, not forcing to give her a get. All he has to do is pay only fifty dollars a day. Now, if he's a billionaire, couldn't care less. If he's a pauper, doesn't have a nickel to his name, he's judgment proof, also couldn't care less. But almost everybody falls in between. And therefore they're not interested in paying money to a woman that they no longer love or they don't want to stay married to, etc. Or she won't want to stay married to them. That's all. That's how that's how it works. That's how it works. In addition, this is called a, a binding arbitration agreement where the parties agree that there's a dispute between them. They're going to go to the Besna of America to arbitrate. Now, what does the Besna of America have the right to, to arbitrate? So certainly, the issue of the get and prenup of this nature. But there are other things that people can fight about. Financial issues, there can be custody issues. Hmm. Hmm. So, after a lot of back and forth, the present version says that the Besden is authorized to decide all monetary disputes, division of property and maintenance between them, and to utilize principles of equitable distribution in accordance with customary practice as the Bezin deems appropriate according to principles of Jewish law, equity, and local custom. Which means as follows. There are many women who are afraid to give jurisdiction and monetary matters to the Bezin because they, they, they get a better deal in a secular court. They may not be allowed to do that, but sometimes they're not so, so, so proper. Here, it says that the Bezna has the right, when appropriate, to use laws of equitable distribution, which any judge would use, uh, as an additional factor, as, as approved by, by Jewish law, which Jewish law does approve, at least in certain cases, utilization of, of secular law details when the parties agree in advance, and sometimes even if they didn't agree in advance. Number two, custody. Now, now custody and visitation, you understand very well, the state views itself as the protector of the children, and therefore it's not given to arbitration. All monetary matters are given to arbitration, and once the arbitrators rule, only two ways to, un- to overturn it in secular law. Either corruption, 
dishonesty or irrationality. Otherwise, what the arbitrators say goes. Comes to custody, visitation, no such thing. There's no automatic um, rule that the judge has to uh, agree to. In New York and New Jersey are different nuances, but it's not 100% binding, but nonetheless, it usually works. You have a, you have a proper uh, individual who helps decide, they're not going to overturn you. We've, to my knowledge, never been overturned in our custody decisions in all these years. The one who works with us usually is Dr. David Pelkovitz. Ever hear of him? He's the God of the door. They're not going to find someone bigger than him in the secular court. We're going to start up with him. So they don't start up. They usually accept what we have to say. Fine. Does say that the Bezdin may consider the respective responsibilities of either or both of the parties for the end of the marriage as an additional but not exclusive factor in determining the distribution of marital property and maintenance should such a determination be authorized by the parties. Some people don't sign this and they, they say, just, just take care of the get for me. That's not always a wise decision because you're much better off having everything decided in bed. Not just halachically it's better, but even practically it's better. It's faster, it's cheaper, it's fairer, and it's halachically the right way to go. So, we always advocate that we should sign the optional parts as well. And the support obligation, so a man obligates himself to support his wife, all Jewish husbands, and if the domestic resident shall cease whatever reason, $150 a day, in lieu of my Jewish law obligation of support, okay, so long as the two of us remain married according to Jewish law, even she has another source of income or earnings. Now that's important. Because in Jewish law, strictly, he has to support her, but she has to give him her earnings. So he's waiving the right. And he waives it again now, and he waves it again later. And it's done. Me'achshav, bezin choshuv, the kinyin, is all to overcome certain technical issues, what we call asmachta, which are overcome in this fashion. It's a longer story. However, this support obligation will terminate despite husband's compliance with the terms and decision of recommendation, and recommendation of the best in America, wife refuses to appear upon due notice or fails to abide by the decision and recommendation of the best. This is very important. Otherwise, uh, she'll hold him up for, for life. Furthermore, she waives her right to collect any portion preceding the date of a reasonable attempt to provide written notification to husband she intends to collect the above sum, notarize signature, etc. Why do we do this? We had the following situation. This is amazing. Uh, a guy came to Bez, was asked by his wife for a get. He said, well, I'll give you a get today. But she wanted to go to, to, go to Bezdin for certain details. Took three months for to come to Bezdin. Okay, three months come to Bezdin. He says again, I'll give it a get today. She says, no, I want to first go to second the court. To, took three years to get it finished. Okay, gets it finished, gives her again. Gets a love note in the mail. Back support for three years, $100,000. What? He wanted to give it again the first day. So it came to our president to decide. Do 
was a split decision, which is rare in our peasant. Two judges said, oh, this is ridiculous. He agreed the first day in Bezin to give it again. But it took three months till they got to Bezin. So he has to give her $10,000 for three months. Other judge said, that's ridiculous. He wanted to give it again the first day. It took three months till we got everything together. The, two, the husband and the wife and the three judges and the two lawyers. So, why is that asked for? They both appealed. They both we have appeals to He wanted to pay nothing. She wanted to pay her, got $100,000. And I was the appellate judge. So I thought about it a lot. I wrote a decision first in Hebrew, then in English. She is entitled to zero. Oh, she had a fit. <laughs> so she went to the Maryland court and claimed that my decision was irrational and therefore should be set aside. These get the ten. Well, the judge said, not only is it not irrational, it's a very reasoned and good decision that this judge made. <laughs> oh, that's flattered. <laughs> this is the essence of what our prenup is, is all about. And now I'm ready to answer the questions here, and as time allows, additional questions as well. Question one. Does forcing a man to give a get render the get puzzle? How do you define force? Force can either be physical force, the case not long ago here, they, people were in jail still for that crazy case. We never ever used physical force. The FBI tried to pull us to the sting operation. They tried it with us and they got nowhere. We never used physical force. Even though in theory, in some places, in some cases, it can be done, we never use that. Sadly, there are other methods we are considered to render get puzzled. Putting someone in jail, excommunicating somebody, and even taking his money. Take his money, so I'm stealing your money from the get. This could render the get to be possible. Okay? Now, of course, in our case, we're, not, we're doing none of the above. Oh, but it's a monetary payment. That monetary payment is simply his support obligation. In half the cases, he's obligated even without signing the prenup. Right? The Ksuba. Half the cases, he would not be, except for signing it. Depends on whose fault the breakup was. But since that obligation is a legitimate obligation, so we're not. Let's say there would be no obligation. Just the ksuba. So you have to give some money to your wife. So why do you say it's a get puzzle because he, he, he's giving the get. You shouldn't have to give the wife the, the daily support even at a lower level. The answer is not considered puzzle because that's your obligation. Question two. Isn't starting a prenup addressing what happened to husbands which refuse to give a get a bad way to start up a marriage? Of course it's a bad way. Terrible way. But the alternative is a hundred times more terrible. Person being an Aguna. What does Aksuba say? Everyone gets married out of Aksuba. Aksuba is the same thing. It says in Aramaic, no, it's talking about. It means that if he dies or divorces, he has to give it as much money. Come on. Three. Do I suggest bring up a prenup during the dating process to make sure you're on the same page with the person you're dating? No. <laughs> it's hard enough dating with, without this. You hope it'll be on the same page. Four. What if a husband's Rebbe says not to sign the prenup? She's got a different Rebbe. <laughs> Five. What if a husband himself doesn't want to sign it? See, it's a little bit tricky. Um, some rabbinic colleagues of mine will refuse to be Messiah Kiddushin unless the prenup is signed. And although I was the one who sort of was involved in the prenup from its inception, I'm not so... 
strong. I will do it, I will, I will encourage it, and I will try to bring it to fruition, even if there are certain obstacles in the way. But I don't feel that I'm such a big guy that I can refuse to do a wedding in the absence of a prenup. I advise strongly it should be done, and uh, they don't do it, so I, what can I do? I, I, I try my best. I don't think that refusing to do the wedding is a, is a proper way to go. I answered the five questions with a piece of paper. Now, I think it's a few more minutes. I'm assuming, is everybody fine? When am I supposed to end? Eight, eight, eight. That eight includes an oral presentation. So I don't know how much time you need. But let me talk about oral for a minute before I open the floor. Oral means organization for the resolution of Agunos. And they do what used to be done in the old years in different ways. Why is the, is the, is the Aguna crisis now more than in previous years? The answer is, in previous years, there was much more of a community pressure to give a, a get when the rabbi insisted on it. There is a story about Bekiva Eger, who lived in the 19th century, that someone refused to give a get to his wife. And Bekiva Eger told him, I'm giving you two choices. You open the first mission in Kiddushin. That a woman is released from, from marriage either with a get or the death of her husband. <laughs> the story is told that he didn't give the get, and down the stairs from Rabbi Kivega's house, he fell down and died. Now, if it would happen again, and the get was given, it would be a get puzzle, because it's a death sentence. That was Rabbi Kivega. We don't have Rabbi Kivega's today, and we don't even have any rabbis, we have many great rabbis. We no longer have the, the Kahila structure they had. In Europe, in those days, this is, this is the early 19th century, in most communities in Europe, there was still a community, a Jewish community, which was very often state-recognized and even state-sponsored. You had to belong to a Jewish community, and there was some religious community in those years, early 19th century, and the only way out of it was to convert to Christianity. Not many people wanted to do that. So you were by, by whether you liked it or not, the part of the Jewish community, there was only one chief rabbi, he said, you forget it was very difficult not to give it. He said, no, you, you can't, there's nowhere to go. And there's another type of pressure, which is called harachotas to rabbi lutam, which means that if you can't force him to give a get, you can tell people, don't talk to him, don't, don't do business with him, don't, you know, don't give him honors, etc. Although we said, don't live in the shul. You're allowed to do these things. You can't excommunicate him. You can't take his money, you can't beat him up, you can't put him in prison. But these types of communal pressure were very, very effective in many, many cases. Also with many, many fewer divorces in those days. Now the community doesn't exist anymore. That's gone. What the three rabbis did in Riverdale is almost unprecedented and unfollowed in, in New York City. The three rabbis, and the, the only three public, real public schools in the community, so you can't come in. I have no, no other cases in that some of the community is just bigger. Too many big rabbis, and no one, they're not going to get along on the same page. Not here to fault anybody. But communal pressure is very weak today. Now, if the rabbis do not have the, the power they used to have, because there's no longer a community where there's only one rabbi, one rabbinical system, I should say, so it's up to the people. Power to the people. You have to do it. There's a story, which you can confirm if you'd like. In Toronto, a man refused to give his wife a gift. This goes back many years. And, and, and this woman was very popular, and then all the women in the town decided, we're going to get it. We're going we're to make sure the get is given. What did they do? They all went on a 
mikvah strike. No woman went to the mikvah. Okay, what's good? <laughs> now, again, that's the story that was told. I think it's a true story. So there, there, is, there are pressure points that exist and that uh, men and women and different people in the community can exert kind of pressure to make sure the get is given when appropriate. So Aura tries to do that. They are uh, guided at the top by Rabbi Shech the Shlita, who will give the final say on whether they should embark upon certain activities such as protests in front of people's houses and things of this nature. Um, I'll tell you what, only one story. The uh, there was a fellow, a wealthy guy, and he wasn't giving his wife a gift. And he belonged to Rabbi Lukstein's community here in the Upper East Side. Very wealthy, prestigious community. Rabbi Lukstein tried every trick in the book to get him to give her a get, and he refused. Enter Ora. Ora protested outside of his office. So over here in Manhattan, some skyscraper. He's a very wealthy guy. And they protest, shame on this guy, he's holding his wife in prison, and then whatever they said. Whoa. So when we summoned him to come to the Besden, he came. He came. When we said, you know, you should give you, get your wife within 30 days, or else Ora's going to come back. Oh, no, no more, no more. Get what's given. So, we didn't. what do we do? We just made a protest in front of his house. He's going to lose business or be embarrassed. That's what Ora does. Okay, I think I have enough of pitch for Aura. Now I'll take a couple of questions. There's no questions. We can, we can end. We don't want to string it out. Everyone understand what I just said? When you get married, you ask for a prenup, yes? yes. Yeah, unanimous vote? Yes. If he won't give it to you, come to call me. Maybe I can uh, convince him. I think it's important that, uh, you know, I wish everybody to marry well and to have only a, a blissful marriage till 120. Amen. All the best. Thank you.